0: Hello and welcome to the first ever Behind the Screen DM chat With me, the DM Rich First of all, thank you so much for listening to this If you are listening to this, this means I've either Released it after a while That's it been sitting as uh, like patron-only access Or you're listening to it Because you are a patron And if you are a patron, I must say thank you very much Um, We didn't have A crazy amount of upfront costs At the start of the podcast Um, Our our RSS... Post fee was something that was optional, but I really wanted to take care of because we have a website that just distributes it to all sorts of different websites like on our behalf. And they have an annual fee of like 100 bucks, which isn't that much. But um, because of the Patreon, and being able to do so much more, I've been able to get Christmas gifts for the players. They all got their own dice. That was so cool. As of right now, we're starting our a merch line, but um, that might already be out at this point because of the the patron support. And there's probably more to come. So once again, if you're listening to this, thank you so much. It all just goes right back into the show. So I really appreciate it. I have no script prepared for this. I have no plans at all. I figured um, this would be the kind of thing that I'd be happy to, to answer questions directly from patrons about in the future. But for now, I think I should probably just start with like the basics. What is Dunspars and Drampa? How did it get started? What was my basis for setting everything up the way that I did? I think it really starts, well, obviously with a love of Pokemon and a love of D&D. Um, I had been a player in some, like, I played one 3.5 campaign in college. I played a couple of 5e campaigns of D&D. Um, I have consumed a fair number of, like, podcasts and shows. I got a little into Critical Role. I loved Harmon Quest. That was a really fun show. Just seeing it animated kind of, like, got you into it. I think they play Pathfinder on that. I don't know d is just a lot of fun. And I'd always been a player. This is my first time DMing anything. After a while, I stumbled upon Boarding Party. Boarding Party is a YouTube channel that is run by a bunch of friends. I think they're in Arizona and I think they're roommates. Maybe I'm not sure. But I found myself in a job where I had a lot of downtime where I had to be looking around, but I didn't need to be doing anything with my hands. And I didn't have to be listening to anything. So I would put in my ear, my uh, headphones and just listen to stuff. And I found boarding party and I just binged through like the first 60 or so episodes within a matter of months. And um, it was really inspirational. I thought it was so cool. They're playing their totally own original system. Their characters are interesting and engaging. And I think the number one thing for me with that show is that DM Drew has so many like cool takes on making things original and like the the hybridization of the pokemon battle system and the D battle system i think he just does it in a super clever and creative way really inspirational truly there came a point i want to say it was at the end of 2020 where in the calyrex game corner which is like our twitch community please join if, if you'd like to um there's invites i in the video descriptions i believe and definitely in the link tree we have a Sparks and Grandpa discussion forum. For all I know, you're already probably a part of that. But just in case you're not, please consider joining. It's a really cool community, anyways. Um, a group of like four or five of us, uh, just out of nowhere, one of our members was like, Hey, I'm gonna run this uh one shot that's from Pokemon 5e. You guys want to try it? And me and a few others were like, Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <clears throat> so I hadn't looked into Pokemon 5e at the time yet, but we started playing it, and the one shot we did was Oak's parcel. We did like three or four sessions and then we stopped because the creator requested that everyone stop playing because he had to cease and desist. It's kind of a complicated story, and uh, I don't I'm not the official <laughs> source on it by any means, but um, he the, the creator of 5e was issued a cease and desist, not from Nintendo. Everyone assumes it was Nintendo It was actually Wizards of the Coast. It was the D&D folks. They were saying, hey, you can't do this. Um in general, creating your own role playing system and playing it for your own leisure and releasing it in like free content is not illegal. There's nothing wrong with that. However, I think I'm just assuming I think where this guy got in trouble was he was distributing materials to play the game, which is reasonable because he put a lot of work into it and it was really well fleshed out. And he did so that copied the five E players handbook style which a lot of homebrews do that's that happens I don't know the legality of it but then it also included tons of official artwork from the games and the anime that being Pokemon and it just kind of blended them together and I feel like maybe that's why he got in trouble I don't know regardless he asked everyone to stop playing the system so we stopped which was really sad because we were having a lot of fun we should talk about that party a little bit one of our players was a like a Pyromaniac from Lily Cove City who not Lily Cove from Lava Ridge and they had a Torchic named Turbo. One of our players was from the Kalos region, kind of similar to Elodie, kind of in personality and demeanor, maybe a little bit more reserved and like less charismatic. Um, and she had a Chinchino or Minchino, whichever one's the smaller one. I always mix those two up. Uh We had another player, I'm pretty sure. Yes, we had a trainer from Sinnoh who was actually kind of a lot like Gimli. (laughs) Uh, They had an Aeron named Chad. And I was playing a character from Kanto whose name was Benji. I put a lot of love into his backstory. Basically, he was like the grandson of Koga, who was exiled from the, the ninja tribe in Kanto because his mother, who is Janin's sister, I believe um was exiled because she had fell in love with a man from johto (laughs) so once that was realized when benji was like 10 they kicked him out uh and his partner was a zubat named fang i miss them a lot and i think that there's definitely a possibility that i work them into um the Dunsparce and drampa at some point just because i think it's such a such a cool character i i really fell in love with that guy Anyways, yeah, we played about three or four sessions with the Five e system, and I felt like that got me to the point like we did that, and it was so much fun, and I was so looking forward to having dozens and dozens of sessions with this group and then it just stopped, and I was like, "No, it can't just stop i can't that's not fair." So I started planning so between that experience that I had playing Pokemon Five e and listening to boarding party, I started devising my own thing. I went crazy. I started thinking of plot. I started thinking of ways that I could kind of like take the 5E stat system and more make it fit my needs. Anyone who's played 5E is probably going to notice like a lot. Not D&D 5E, but Pokemon 5E, that is now now to defunct and no longer used. Um they probably notice that a lot, I have a lot of things that are very similar to that format because it's just good. It's just I I borrow a lot of things that makes a lot of sense, especially moves and move descriptions. Um I'll I'll shake up their damage values and stuff and like their their DCs and whatnot. Um, but it just makes a lot of sense. Other things like stat generation, I've been taking a lot more on my own initiative. I think what was going on with P5E was. Like special defense and defense were kind of a hybridization of like. Wisdom or wisdom or in like armor class, I like kind of combined but Then dexterity ties into armor class And like speed ties into armor class. So you kind of have to. I just come up with numbers that like make sense to me. I don't know. I just kind of look at it and it's like, well, this sounds good. And like in my head, if I'm comparing these monsters to D&D monsters that are similar, then it it just makes sense. Intelligence is a stat that's usually just reserved for psychic types. Um, And not even all psychic types have good intelligence. But as far as like something that you attack off of, it's not very common because Pokemon are kind of like animals for the most part. Again, unless they're psychic types and they have a lot of they're very smart. And then that's that's a different story. So, I spent a few months in early 2021 coming up with my own kind of system that was very heavily based on Pokemon 5E but also with my own little stuff and I came up with a one-shot. Um, I'm not sure if a recording exists for it. I don't know. I definitely recorded it not with the intention to release it to anyone, but because I wanted to review it and see how things worked. There was a lot of rule changes that came out of that one-shot. Um, and as a one-shot it also took 3 sessions. It took place in the Mirage Tower that you can find in Pokemon Emerald on the desert route in Hoenn. I wasn't planning on setting a campaign like a full out campaign in Hoenn, but I think just after that little three shot went over well, I decided might as well stick with it. Right. It was I came up with a plot line where the Rustboro Archaeological Society sent some strapping young trainers to go investigate the Mirage Tower because it doesn't show up all the time. It's like a mirage. They saw it in the desert and they're like, oh, we need we need people to investigate this. And they have to be powerful trainers because we don't know what's inside. And I came up with a system or like the, the plot was basically like the the tower was kind of like uh, an oubliette of sorts. It kind of it was a it was from far away in the past, like thousands of years in the past. And parts of it were like still alive as if it was functioning thousands of years ago, and then the rest of it was like decrepit ruins, kind of. It was fun. It was cool. And the long story short, the the final boss at the top of the tower was um a clay doll that was monstrous. And um there was a lot of there are a lot of little hints around about there being lots of little like toy, like ball toys, and there was like a little girl's story being told throughout it. I wish I had more specifics on it, but it was a cool little fun, fun three shot. And I think Uh, it gave me a lot of opportunities to change the rules and it let our players really get comfortable with what I was going for. I made sure to throw things at them that were not as common for like the Pokemon world that were a little bit more mature, a little bit more violent, maybe a little more serious. Right. So after we did that little adventure, I waited a couple weeks to build the story and here we are, (laughs) we're in, we're in the midst of of the campaign. Um, I offered, so I, I gave, I required that the players use pre that I designed to kind of get them involved into the campaign. And they, the pre-builds that I offered them were, they were all level five, I believe, which is where they're at, you know, episode 19. That's about what level our players are now. Actually, they finally caught up to that point. And they were all either based on the one-shot characters from Pokemon 5e that I played with Benji or they were based on boarding party so in fact I could even pull that up right now and I could share with you some of the the details about those lost characters <laughs> those ancient lost characters so um, yeah so Benji was an option and uh, Jacob actually played Benji and Benji had a goal bat Benji never had a goal bat in the original campaign but I, they were level five I was like it sounds about appropriate to get a goal bat and so um, for all of our players everyone has had experience playing a role-playing game like this except for Jacob so I don't know if it's because Benji was like a dex heavy character that led Sh- uh, like Jacob to kind of create Schmidt to also be kind of dex heavy. I'm not sure, but maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe it doesn't. Um, but he chose to play Benji. Um, also, not surprisingly, uh, CJ chose to play Gray, who was the the Aeron trainer in the P5E campaign, but I gave them a Lairon here. Um, Yeah, that also ties in 100% from Sinnoh uh, rock types. Yeah, it turned out really well. The same kind of King Tanker's attitude translated straight from from Gray into Gimli. Um, Did someone play? Yeah. So Melissa played the 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 Mancino trainer, um, Delphi, the Colossian from the from the one shot that I did with P5E and. Uh, they they picked a different character, Cindy and Soli, uh, like their their archetype is kind of more mage you know, they're a little bit more offensive, where I think Delphi and Machino were a little bit more supportive. But that was kind of fun to experience that uh, Connor and Turbo. That was the the Lava Ridge trainer with the Torchic. They were not chosen. And then my last two characters were from Boarding Party. So one of them was the character CJ from that show. And he has a totodile. I made it a croconaw in the one shot. It's a croconaw by the point that I'm listening to it. But um, if you know, I'm not going to spoil anything too crazy, but I will spoil their starters and their evolutions. If you want to listen to Boarding Party, no one decided to play CJ. And then Phoebe is a character in Boarding Party as well. And they started with the swine up and uh, it evolved into a pilot swine at a certain point. And uh, Grace chose to play as Phoebe with Nubster, the pilot swine. So those are the characters that we did for that one shot and it was a good time. If if it does exist on recording somewhere I might dig it up and post it but who knows. It was kind of clunky. There's a lot of moments where we were um you know, making up rules as we went along. We were retconning things. I think we were using full type effectiveness so you might notice that like for example if you use a ground type move on a laron in my version of this game um, It only does double damage, not quadruple. I think we were keeping double super effective and double weaknesses, which is it makes a huge difference in like the D&D context. But and then, yeah, so we did that. And then I gave the players free reign to make their own characters. And that's what they did. Grace had a couple ideas. Uh, I, She came to me with this current design for Elodie and Milsuri. She also had kind of like a rural kind of country girl with a Mareep. I think that would have been a cool character to investigate. It might be a character that I plug into the show at a certain point just because I thought it was neat. But I think at the end of the day, we thought the fairy type Baker was was a really cute idea. I'm pretty sure that Jacob just had the idea for Schmidt just this whole time. I, I don't think that took much thought. And same with Gimli. Um I was CJ gave me the impression that he every time he plays D&D he does he plays this character. <laughs> he plays someone who's very strength heavy, who's very short, who has a big beard. <laughs> and I was like, okay, if that's if that's your comfort zone and you have fun with that then please like by all means. And I'm not sure where Cindy came from. Uh I I don't think Melissa had a whole lot of other ideas to pitch, but Cindy was the was the decision. Um I am not sure if I revealed to them it would take place in Hoenn or not. I don't think I. I I told I told the players that they would end up in a situation where they were all in the same place, but they could be from whatever region they wanted to be from, whatever they thought would be more fun to world build. And coincidentally, like we got to the point where I was thinking like Hoenn's a cool place to explore. What if they started not from the starting town, but from like the middle of the map, like Lily Cove? And that's kind of where my train of thought went with with making the story. I also wanted it to take place in the future from the games so that it's still familiar to any listeners who have played in the home region games, but it's, it's novel in the sense it's like 15 years in the future. So I wanted to, to make a little bit of a distinction there. I also took some liberties in, you know, hammering out some nuances that weren't present in other media, like how the government works. And even though I don't have fully fleshed out, but like obviously the elite four is some sort of organization that handles stuff right? Obviously the champion has a role that they have some authority in the way that the, the, the civilization runs, right? It's never gone into detail in my, as far as my knowledge in the anime or the games, but I just felt like there has to be some sort of governmental structure there. So I just kind of divided up the region into quarters, put the elite four in the quarters. I changed up the elite four a little bit too, just for some variety. And then the champion, right? I, I wanted to make the player character from the games, the champion of the region, and I just feel like May is just much more popular and very recognizable and just kind of more interesting than Brandon. Brandon's cool. He's got a cool hat, but I don't know. I, f- I feel like Red is already in the world. You know, uh, I, th- I thought that May could be really cool to uh, to take place there. So, so yeah, they chose their starters. I I've been making all the character sheets. I've been taking some input. If someone's like, hey, this looks weird or like, I don't agree with this, but that's happened like once from the players. I think for the most part, everyone's kind of on board with the stats that I've been I've been doing, yeah, I felt like, you know, everyone kind of memes on the you all meet in a tavern style of starting games in, in for for like D&D and tabletop role playing games. And like it's a meme because it it's good. I think it's a good way to start things off. I don't think it really makes sense in, in the Pokemon world necessarily, especially because um one of these characters is quite a bit younger than the other ones um so i wanted to get them into a situation where they didn't have to interact but they would kind of be forced into interacting at a certain point i was like what what could happen um lily cove in the games is like pretty open like there's a lot of buildings but like the i guess in in the pokemon games in general the cities are pretty open because your your character is like kind of oversized and chibi if you know what i'm saying but That's besides the point. I wanted to fill it with stuff. So I was like, hey, what about like a festival? What about like a a summery beachy kind of festival? So I threw them all into there. And then the question was like, how do I get them united in a task? And I was like, well, maybe if they all brought something that was important to them and they got it stolen. Well, I think it worked. I think it worked out okay. Um, And then that gave me time to kind of as they were dealing with retrieving their lost items, they could kind of see what it's like to go down a route. Right. Travel isn't really something I've been focusing on in this campaign very much. I feel like if you know, I'll do like one or two encounters per route. But if if it's annoying for there to be an encounter that the party doesn't really want to have. I don't really want to force them to have it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to introduce things and challenge them every now and then, which I think I do so far with the campaign. But I don't see the point in just ruling encounters every time you hit the route, because I just I don't think that's fair to the players necessarily. You know, if they want to grind by like all means, they can like seek out encounters. I think that's fine because that's that's what you do in Pokemon games anyways, right? You walk on the route and if you want to catch something new, you go in the grass. I kind of want to give them that opportunity to do that. I don't know if that's not true to the D&D ways, but this is what I was thinking. So that's what we did. I wanted it. So there's also another trope as far as D&D goes, where it's encouraged to introduce your party to an aspect or something that represents the big, bad, evil guy as soon as possible right? Like in the first session and just to make them feel powerless. So that as they become more powerful with throughout the campaign, they actually feel like they can put up a fight. I think that's just kind of game design in general. That's like Mega Man X, right? You start Mega Man X and you plow through this first level. You're like, this is an easy baby game. And then you're forced to lose a fight, right? I think it's kind of similar to that, except I don't really want to lose, make them lose because it's not a video game and the stakes are higher. So I want to introduce an ominous new organization where the players could only recognize initials, an acronym that describes the organization. Um there were a lot of good theories that that floated around and at this point that now that I'm recording this um the name of the organization has been revealed. So I will say it spoilers if you don't know what it is, but it is Neo Rocket Galactic. Um I think you know it's a dumb name. The players acknowledge that in our session. It's a pretty dumb name, but I think it's appropriate for the world that we're doing. I always thought that um Team Rocket was just kind of the coolest kind of classic kind of team at least represented in the games they're they're just like they're just capitalist kind of criminals and who who steal people's pokemon which is like they're, they're very down to earth kind of in, criminals <laughs> in this sense and i wanted to fuse them with galactic because galactic is crazy out of all the teams in the games, they have the wildest ambitions. They want to make a new universe. Like, what the heck? I thought Team Magma was crazy when I played a version. Nah, Galactic is like a whole other level. So I was like, what if we combined like the realistic kind of mafia aspects of Team Rocket with the, the otherworldly ambitions of Team Galactic? I just thought that was neat. I don't I think there's only been one instance where a team, an evil team in Pokemon has like truly reformed and that was plasma and they called themselves Neo Team Plasma. So I was like, hey, Neo Rocket Galactic, we'll see how it goes. Um, I, I think I've, you know, a, a big part with forming the evil team, I had to decide if you listen to anything like Matt Colville related or Matt Mercer related I two great DMs, but the name of Matt, that's really weird. They'll always encourage you that like when you're making a character, you have to determine what their motivation is. So I was like, cool, I can make an evil team. But what do they want? What do they want to do? So I that was like probably the first thing I did. I figured out what is this evil team doing bothering the players or just like the players are so far kind of just fighting themselves in the way of this evil team. But I think more and more they're becoming more connected in ways. In the first session, I wanted them to feel helpless in a situation and for something very bad to happen to one of them, which was Cindy lost her grandparents. Right. So I think that's the first little story thread. And then also the thing where they're all on vacation. But oops, you can't go home because the government says that there's been a terrorist attack. Right. For my first time, DMing, I, I'm not going to say this was the best way to to corral a party together, but I, I think it serves the purpose. I think it's interesting enough and all the players are engaged enough that it is successful so far. We'll see how it goes. As far as uh, like when they do have random encounters, they just roll a dice and I have encounter tables for each route. Um, sometimes I don't have a fully fleshed out encounter table and I'll just do like one through ten and I'll just double it. Right. I just think of Pokemon that I think would make sense being there. And you might have noticed that I don't restrict it to Gen 3. The first caught encounter was Gumi. Um, I wanted a cool little reward for rolling a 20 on the first route. I do the the 20 roll on every route is something kind of significant. And lo and behold, the first encounter was a 20 and Cindy caught it. So that's super cool. Um, I love cookie. And the story of like catching cookies is really neat for for Cindy's character as well. So that's just kind of what I've been doing for, for every route um, is a little it's just classic D&D encounter table. Of course, I consider what's on the route in the games, but I also want to give a lot more variety because I don't want to just like, oh, you're in the grassland. There's going to be oddish like I want there to be some more interesting situations. So that's what we've been doing. Um, I am certainly wholeheartedly stealing boarding parties, gym kind of way to do it. I know that there's been other role-playing groups that do gyms kind of in a group style. And I might do that for like one or two gyms just because I think that might be interesting. But in general, I'm straight ripping off boarding party. It's like a small personal challenge. That's a lot more battle focused because at least for Dunsparce and Drampa, the most of the campaign isn't particularly battle focused. It's more, more story and like exploration kind of stuff there's occasional little boss battles, but it's not constant encounters like it is in a gym. So the focus is kind of on the strategy and the tactics of doing that. Um, Yeah, no secret. I've, I've stolen that from boarding party for sure. You know, because in in Pokemon media, it's like so many characters aren't trainers, right? There's so many people that like live with Pokemon or maybe don't and just have other normal ass like adult kind of lives. And I wanted that to be potentially an option for the players because like the way that the, the stuff that they're into they're gonna have to do battles especially if they want to get their gym badges but like you know not everyone is the player character in the Pokemon games obviously everyone in on the ta- in the, you know everyone at the table is a player character for our party but what I'm trying to say is is that like it's different than the video games I want to make it more like the closer to the D&D side of things this has been a pretty good ramble I wouldn't mind doing one of these every now and then. Um, please submit questions to me. There should be a question form. It's like one of the first posts on the Patreon, is like ask questions to people. Um, please, please, if you're listening to this, ask me something. I, I would love to answer it. Um, I am happy to just kind of ramble about my process and do that in little bite sized chunks every now and then for for this bonus content. But I would love to directly answer what you are wondering about. I guess that's all I have to say. Thank you so much for listening. I'll do another one of these soon. Hopefully after I get some questions in, I would, I would love to get some more of these done. I'd like to do this regularly, like, you know, a couple of months or so. We'll see how it goes. But again, thank you for your support. And I guess I'll, I'll talk to you another time. Thank you.